Welcome to episode 22 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, what's going on with you this week? Um, it's been really good. I've had Zoom meetings like every single night. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Like, I feel like I'm back in the fold. You know what I mean? We used yes. to be at meetings all the time and doing stuff. <laughs> So I'm either like at my office on a Zoom meeting at night or I come home and do it, which is a little bit harder. But yes. um, yeah, so I've been I've been busy. That's good. Yeah. Busy is good. Yes. I haven't been super busy this week, which I enjoy. Um, and I'm kind of over the Zoom. I feel like I was on a lot of Zooms. Yes. So um, work wise. So I'm happy. I was happy just I like drew. I baked. That was my... I made good. a strawberry pie. I never made Ooh. a strawberry pie before, but it the filling was really good. <laughs> Sugary and syrupy. But that was it. Nice. So, do you want to jump right in? Let's do it. Okay. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of former Oklahoma Custer County Sheriff Mike Burgess. So, I, I just wanted to do a sheriff because we've been dealing with a lot of sheriff stuff yeah. in our own area that I thought, well, let's, let me just have a little theme going. <laughs> so um, Mike Burgess earned the voters trust three different times and served as sheriff of Custer County for 15 years. But when allegations surfaced that Burgess forced inmates and drug court defendants to engage in sexual activity. Um, excuse me? Yes. Custer County Sheriff takes his last stand, and like the county's namesake, is utterly destroyed. Holy This shit. story is so wild. What is that movie with Richard Gere oh. and cutie patootie Edward Norton where he oh. kills a bishop or something, and it's because the bishop is filming, making these kids do oh, sexual activities, filming them? Instinct, primal, basic, not basic instinct, primal, this, primal this, fear, primal fear, I think. Same kind, but that just yes, that's this what sounds familiar. Head. This sounds familiar yeah. to me. I feel like, I feel like I kind of know it, but I I, yeah. I don't remember. It reminds that just I love Ed, me of that. Ed Norton. <gasps> oh my mm. god! Oh, did Andy. you ever see him in Death to Smoochie? No. Oh my god, he's so hilarious. He plays like this kids show character. Oh my god, it's great. You have to you find it, watch yeah. it. It's good. Okay. okay. <laughs> so our story takes place in um, it's around two thousand seven. Uh, in Custer County, Oklahoma. And this is a really small county. The county has a total of about 27,500 people. And the capital city of the county is uh, Apraho, which has just under 800 people mm. living there. So that gives you a sense of this is a rural area of Oklahoma. So uh, before I go into details about his alleged crime, I want to give you some background on the sheriff. So, like I said, he served as sheriff for 15 years, but he had 23 years total experience as a cop, as an officer. The bio that was listed at the time on the sheriff's website, and this is as reported by David Showitz of ABC News, Burgess became sheriff when the previous sheriff passed away, and then he was elected on three different times, like I said earlier. He was a married grandfather to eight who, quote, always had time to talk to his constituents and would invite them to chat over coffee. And so, again, remember, this is a small town, so it has that feel like you could just walk up to the sheriff and have these conversations, where in Broward, I don't feel like I could just walk up to the no. sheriff being like, oh, let's have a chat. But yeah, no. it's definitely that, that small town vibe. So the county jail at that time held about 80 prisoners. So, again, this it's small. And this isn't like big time city sheriff at all. But um, I want to go into three areas where Burgess abused his power um, in the women's prison, his involvement with drug court defendants and in the workplace. So we'll start with the prison. So according to um, a journalist, uh, Reuters of Prison Legal News, in the prison, women were fondled, pinched, <sighs> Forced into wet t-shirt contests. Excuse me. What year is this, please? I, this, I, is, this is throughout like the 2000s. Oh, late my 90s. God. Yes. Can you imagine? No. Watched in showers. Fuck this. Watched in other freezing cold rooms where they were stripped down. And they also had to show their breasts to get things like medicine, toilet paper, feminine hygiene products, food, 
ice cigarettes. I'm fucking furious. Can you? So wait, this is in front of people like who work at the prison who are sheriffs, like like deputies. This is yeah, guards, jailers, and he was aware of it and just doesn't give up. No, he was the one. Like he was like the guy that instigated all of this. It's supposed like he is the main guy. So in addition, the women were not provided with prison jumpsuits. So, you know, typically they're in like the one piece, you know, jumper. And instead they had to wear boxer shorts and fitted tees without the bra. What in the fuck? (laughs) Tina. I, I, I was reading this and I was like, how, how in the world did this happen? And some of the reports I was reading, and again, it reminded me of the Sipperman, the, the one sheriff, I think was episode four that I covered, um, who had moved from one place to the next and and, be, and had all of that past yes. uh, bad stuff and, and there's no vetting. But the funding, that was the other thing that I read in an article that there wasn't enough funding to, for this oversight to make sure in these small areas oh what's going God, on. Oh, my God, Jesus. And this, of course, led, um, thankfully, to conversations of having more oversight. But it just blows my mind that this is happening. Yeah. And that people are aware that it's happening. Yeah. And just let it go. Right, because there's people who work at the prison. It's not like they're not seeing this. Yes, but he's the sheriff. Right. So um, he gave one woman in the jail a trustee status, which is like she is, it's like a kind of higher ranking for her to have certain privileges or or do certain jobs or whatever at the prison, at the jail. And, but she got that after forcing oral sex from her two separate Mm -hmm. times. And when she refused a third time, he stripped her of that status and gave it to another woman who, you know, uh, eventually like consent. I don't want to say that she consented, but went along with it. But there's no consent here. Right. No, it's rape. Yes. So with the drugs. So that's what's happening in the jails. So then there's the drug court. So drug court is, you know, women, um, not just women, but people who are up on drug, drug charges and they can avoid jail time or avoid being placed in like a rehab and they have to regularly get tested Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're clean. So, um, and going before this court and he was a member of this court as the sheriff. So some women were forced to perform sexual acts for him in this point. Um, so there was a woman named Brenda Brown and in 2007, she was on her way to drug court and Burgess is driving her and he, uh, allegedly told her to sodomize him and performed oral sodomy on her. And this is on the way to court. Like he pulled over off the side of the road and did this like as she's like, and basically saying like, if you don't do this, like you'll just go to jail. And so she felt like she had to comply. And then there was another woman, a Joy Lee Mason who Burgess um, allegedly assaulted over 30 different times so when the trial, and I'll get into some of that, but when he ends up uh, up on charges, he has a lot of charges for this time. And it was over a 14 month period with this woman, Joy Lee Mason, and he doesn't get in trouble for all of the allegations. Mm. Um, so some of these things happened at a motel, um, some at like a, a nice hotel, like a, you know, a, a upscale you know, like the Biltmore or something. I mean, mm. nothing like that. But it was like a nice hotel in the area. Yeah. Um, his home when his wife was away. Oh, what a gentleman. Yeah. And other places as well. And according to court documents, he allegedly would help her with the urine tests. And if they came out positive, he would get rid of it so she wouldn't face jail time. And wow. when she told him she was done having sex with him, when she had like another positive test come up, he didn't help her. And she was in the court like, I F this guy. <gasps> like, he's screwing me over. And like, she, you know, yeah. she she lost it. Um, and she was sentenced to, I believe it was a treatment center for one year. Because Whoa. he was like, you know, you're on your own. Yeah. Right? Because you're not complying and with what I And who's going to believe her over this guy? Right. So that was the thing that happened with her um, over a 14-month period. And then in the workplace, Burgess allegedly fondled a female deputy, uh, a Jennifer Tyler, on various occasions. Once happened before her very first day where she was getting fitted for her police uniform and he stuck his hands down her pants. What? Stuck his hands down her pants and like grabbed her butt. And she just was like, you know, um, kind of just in shock. (laughs) And then another time he groped her, you know, again, 
on the behind and at her chest on the courthouse steps. And she quit shortly after this. Jesus Um, And she ended up getting a job as a deputy sheriff in a different county, like elsewhere. According to, and this, this part really upset me about this particular woman, is that she was called in during the trial to testify to say, yeah, I've had experiences with this man too. And his defense attorney, a Tim Henderson, asks her on the stand, why didn't you turn around and knock him out right there? And Tyler responded, I needed a job. And the fact, and again, this is the thing that upsets me, that it's always about the victim. Like, why didn't you punch someone? Why didn't you push him up? Why didn't you tell him the F up? Why didn't you? And not all, some women have that ability, right? That they, they have maybe the strength to do that. Or not, and, but not all women do. And to somehow suggest because she didn't say something or she didn't do something, like now it's her fault? Well, I have literally had this conversation, Tina, twice this week about the woman who's accusing Biden. That there isn't enough evidence, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And also, what's the threshold? And what I've come to to about like a powerful man, right? Like what's the threshold of how much evidence? And I've, in my head, have now theorized that like, it's the scale, right? Like there's two scales that balance each other out. And the most more powerful a man is, the higher up it is on right. one side. And then the, that oh, means you more need work. more so evidence more on the other yeah. side to actually convict that person. Right. And so to think and for a second say that women in the 60s and the 70s, they didn't stand up for themselves. You have to remember the balance of power and the reason why these men, you know, did these things in the first place is because no one ever told them it was the wrong thing to do. But they right. know it's the wrong thing to do. Wrong. Oh, they know it's wrong. You don't I, as a man ever. It's And here's the other part where I don't understand men defending this bullshit. There are nine men out of 10 would never take their hand and stick it down that woman's pants. Nine out of no. 10 would never do that. Right. And they know it's Eight. the wrong thing. Okay, fine. Eight <laughs> out of 10 would never do it and know it's the wrong thing to do. Why are you defending? Why are you saying women have it's on the right. it's the, on, the onus right. is on them? Why didn't you turn around and knock? Him yeah, out? when it's really the two percent of those those men that would do that, right. you should be shaming them, right. not asking the woman why she didn't do anything. Right? Why aren't men looking at the man saying, "Dude, why did you do this? You shouldn't ever behave this right. way. You're making even sexual assault is on the far end. The other end is how incredibly creepy and unwarranted, inappropriate behavior is." And that's just as bad to me. It's it's the reason why women don't say anything is because their whole lives. Yes, I see people look men looking at my daughter. She's eleven. Yes, it's their whole lives. They've been creeped the fuck out by you guys. Yes, and it's scary. And so start the good guys. Start getting your shit together and start and, calling men out yes. when you see them say. Stop looking for the women yes. to have to give you evidence. Correct. Look at the men and say, oh, you did this? That's fucked up. You're a piece of shit. Stop looking at the women to have to come up with having to defend themselves. We have to fight too hard for everybody all the time. When the fuck are you going to start fighting for us? Thank you. Fuck off. And I have to say, as someone um, who experienced harassment at work. Yes. The story um, you told me about where you worked at retail store is so insane. Yeah, that was one. So there was another one when I was older. Um, and it, it was, uh, the situation was, it was just me and this other person, Mm -hmm. right. And he, and this person was, you know, the head of the organization that I worked for Mm -hmm. and he would say things to me, uh, like he was going to put me over his knee and spank me. Oh my God. He, that I should be at the front when people walk in because I'd make a nice ornament for the office. It's nice. And things like, I mean, it was constant 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 yeah and one time in front of board members who were all older men he made a comment about my appearance when and and it and then again it's just me what am I going to do go up to those board members and say look at how the guy's laughing when they all chuckled and smiled and thought it was great yeah so and it was a job that I needed well and so uh, the other it, it there's no I could have just quit, but then how am I paying my rent? You know, there's all these other things. What about yes. my reference? You know, there's all this other stuff tied to it. And that's just one incident. Well, and here's the I other feel side. Like I, have a li- I have a lifetime of incidents. The other side <laughs> isn't, the other side of it too isn't 
the woman working in, in a, a legislator's office or at the sheriff's office. It's the mother, the single mother who's got three jobs and right. one of them might be Burger King and her manager's doing this shit to her. And she can't lose there's, that job because they won't have food. Go. They won't have a light, their lights on. You know, it's, it's the women who are in these situations who have zero power right. that can't do it. There's no and, one and is going to listen to them the or proof? care. And what is the proof? There's where, not enough. Yeah, where would I go? Who's going to believe me? Yeah. So you're sort of, and so I just was like, okay, I'm going to work this in a way where I'm never yeah. alone in a space. with, and, and that's how I navigate it until I got another job and got out of there. Yeah. You know, but it happened. Yeah. And it was, and that's not even, there, there was much more. I mean, yeah. drunken phone calls. Uh, oh my God. It, it I can't was, stand it. It makes me sick. Yeah. It makes me sick. It, I remember right after the Me Too thing started and all these stupid fucking moron dudes were like, I don't know, even know where the line is anymore. Can I not approach someone at the grocery store? Oh, and I remember thinking God. to myself, yeah, don't approach people at the grocery store. Women are just trying to grocery shop. We want to buy a fucking tomato and yes. go home. Leave us alone. Yes, don't approach us at a grocery store. No one's looking for you and your smile and your dumb jokes <laughs> and your ridiculous face. Your Get one the liners. fuck out of here. Your no. one-liners. Get out. Okay, so. The major incident. So how does this guy finally go down? So um, there was a woman from the Washita Custer Court Program. And this is that Joy Lee Mason. Okay. Right. Who was upset because now screaming she's in got the court. A, she's screaming yeah. in court. And she told police that she was forced to have sex with Burgess or get sent to prison. And so because he was sheriff of Custer County, they sent that case to a nearby Texas County. Even this is Oklahoma, but it was called Texas County. Mm-hmm. And the DA there started digging. And this lawsuit gets like all, and then it just, everything starts bubbling to the And it's always surface. an outside, outside, right? No one in that county was going to do anything about no. it because they like this guy or whatever. They're not going to listen. It's always an outside, right? Yes. And so uh, according to a KOCO News 5 report, once he felt the heat on him, I thought this was great. He got a woman, and I believe it was her cousin, Joy Lee Mason's cousin, mm. said to him, look, Mason told me that she's got some of your DNA. Oh, from your encounters at the house. And so he's like, why don't you go there? Go find whatever this DNA is and I'll help you get your brother out of jail. So sends this person along. And then, of course, that guy, he gets busted for that, too. What? <laughs> that Monica Lewinsky yes, blue dress. Like, yeah, climbing through the window <laughs> trying to find like an old, like balled up tissue. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't God. know what she had. But I thought it was great that uh, he's like, OK, we got to get the DNA out of there. So the lawsuit. So the charges really. Um, he got, was got to have DNA because yeah. otherwise there's no way there's no this evidence. would ever would have happened. Right. right. No way. This guy would have abused his power, please. So he uh, originally had 32 charges total against him, including second degree rape, mm. forcible sodomy, rape by instrumentation, <gasps> bribery, sexual battery, engaging in a pattern of criminal offenses and indecent exposure. So during the case, Burgess claimed that he had consensual sex with Joy Lee Mason. So he's claiming like we went to hotels, like we had a relationship is what he said for 14 months. Um, And she's basically saying I was coerced into having to perform acts for this guy for 14 months. I can't wait to see what he looks like. And both sides tried to use that incident as uh, according to uh, Ron Jackson's article, as the heart of the case. So the defense was like, this is the heart of the case. They've been in a relationship. He had an affair. Like all he's guilty of is an affair. Right. <laughs> and then the, the, the prosecution is like, no, this is the heart of our case. This is 14 months, 30 separate counts of assault on this woman. Um, because he's wielding this power of you're going to go to jail mm. and look what happened. Right. When, when she said no, yeah. Right. He stops protecting her. And yes, if she was using, but again, and we had that same situation with that other judge that, that I covered, that these are women who are vulnerable, who are addicts, yes. you know, and, and, and he's manipulating that for his own pleasure. Really. Oh my God. Can you imagine? It's, 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 it's and the, the other part of it is like, so you can come like, what oh the my fuck God. is going on? I know. Just go home and like jerk off. Like yes. what are you doing to women? I know. What is wrong with you? It's, it's horrible. Fuck it's horrible. man, it's so insane. It's horrible. Ugh. So, and I have to say, I got to give kudos to Ron Jackson. Um, this reporter, he, he wrote so many articles. It, they were really um, detailed, wonderful. And um, again, according to Ron Jackson, Jackson of the Oklahoman and 
um, another uh, newspaper, the Eden News and Eagle, uh, at the end. So out of those 32 charges, he was found guilty of 13 felony charges. So he was found guilty of five counts of second degree rape, three counts bribery by a public official, two counts forcible sodomy, one count sexual battery, one count kidnapping, one count of engaging in a pattern of criminal offenses. And the original recommendation, they were considering 94 years in prison. Ooh. And he was sentenced to 79 years. Fuck yes. 79. So there was actually a time where they said it could have been eight years if they would have done this thing like concurrently, mm. but they they didn't do it concurrently. And, okay. and that there was this sort of push of like, we need to make a lesson out of this guy. And yes. he can't get eight years. So is it just on her case alone or was it other women no, it was, coming from? It was from... Um, the Brenda Brown. Okay. It was Lily Mason. Yes. It was the deputy. Yes. So it's all of the okay. stuff together. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So um, he gets 79 years, um, $15,000 in fines. And the prosecutor's closing remarks to the jury included um, in reference to Burgess, if you're going to act like an animal, you're going to be caged like an animal. Yes. Motherfucker. Oh, yes. yes. And he also said um, that the sentencing afterwards, that 79 years, sends a message to public officials not to use their position to the disadvantage of others. Like, hey, guys, if you're going to do something like this, you're going to be like Mike Burgess yeah. sitting in jail for 79 years. Wow. So um, some points of interest. So as I noted earlier, um, his attorneys and Burgess claimed that that sex was consensual with Joy Lee Mason. But he, this is the thing. Under Oklahoman law, and I'm sure that this is for many of the other states in the, in the union, that if you are a sheriff or a jailer or an officer of any kind, you cannot in any way engage in consensual sex. Mm. You just can't because they are in control of that person, right? In terms of confinement. So yeah. like there's no way that they're going to be like, sure, yes, let's do that. Like, I mean, maybe some romance buds somewhere. I don't know. I don't no. think so. It can't. No. It just cannot. And so that's sort of the, that was the thing. Like, no, you can't say that it was consensual. You had power. And his defense attorneys also tried to say that the judge was the one in charge of the drug court, right? Not the sheriff. So mm. he didn't have a position of power, but he was a member of that court yes. as the sheriff. Give me a break. Mm. So um, the other thing I thought was interesting uh, um, that happened was they were talking about where to house him for this mm. 79 years because so there was a he had his hand like he was raising money to have a, a jail built in uh, Custer County. And the argument basically was if he is in jail with the people that he potentially arrested in the past, he would be in danger. My feeling is, but you did all of this awful stuff. Like now we have to protect you. I, I don't know. I like, I'm kind of torn. Like I get it. Like maybe he'll be killed because he was a sheriff and all these people hate him because they're in jail because of him. But he committed this awful, awful crime. He's, he is a criminal. Like He's everybody a criminal, else. Like there. everyone else. Right. I mean, he raped women. He made them his sex slaves. Oh my you know? God, dude. Why does he, I don't know why he deserves that leniency, but that was, um, what they talked about, and according to Jackson, again, Ron Jackson, um, there were three potential offers that were considered by Jerry Massey, who was then uh, the head of the state corrections department. Mm -hmm. And it was either protect protective custody, where if he's in the jail, he is separated and he has no contact with other prisoners. Or we send him to an out-of-state prisoner where we, he would be more unknown. Um, or... Um, just straight to the county jail. And the state had a contract with the, the county jail. So that was an option as well. So he ends up um, with the isolation where he is, he spends 23 out of 24 hours completely separated from everyone. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like, I mean, he's there for a long, I mean, 79 years being completely isolated for 23 hours a day, like I'm sure is uh, horrible, but I don't, I don't have, I don't have sympathy for this guy. No. But this uh, quote from his stepdaughter blew me away. Oh, so God. he's sentenced and they're talking about like, where do we house him? And she says, his stepdaughter, Jody Stanley, quote, 
If he's not going to be safe here, then I'd want him to be moved out of state. I just wouldn't want him to have to live in isolation. He's a people person. At least in a minimum security prison, he can play cards with other inmates and work. You can't do that in county jail. He's a people person who, you know, let him play cards. Let him enjoy himself. <sighs> That's from his stepdaughter. And they, of course, they are, they believe that he didn't do so this and sad. that he just had an affair like the whole family 70 he's charged he's <laughs> sentenced to 79 years yeah and they don't think he's guilty no he's a people person oh great <laughs> great yep i was like what in the world so um this wow. other so and now his wife's point of view um oh god a few cares? years after he was sent to prison they spoke to his wife and Again, she doesn't believe any of it. She thinks that all he did was have an affair. And she says it's her faith is what keeps them together. Oh, blow me. And she sees this from the family's perspective as these are women who saw dollar signs. Yeah. That they <laughs> saw dollar signs. We're going to sue. And we're going to get money. <laughs> and so all these women jumped on board to say, yes, it happened to me. Yes, it happened to me. Yes, it happened to me. And, and. There's all this evidence stacked against him, and she just believes that it's these women saying that because they want a paycheck. What if there was a video? What if there were pictures? Like, here we are again with these scales. I know. What is enough for you? And you know what? Listen, it's it's his family. That's what they're going to believe. If that's what they need to do to sleep at night. Right. I mean, it would, be hard. it would face, be hard to yeah, imagine. To be I able mean, to face the world and be like, you know, they still have to be out here and facing people and the rest of their yes. family and their friends and, they, and they're embarrassed as hell. So that's what they believe. Oh, he's wrongfully. Has he appealed this? Like, is that even trying? He, he did. Um, he did in 2010. He tried to appeal on the grounds of insufficient evidence oh, and unconstitutional jury instructions, and it was denied. Yeah, and denied. it wasn't just in it. So, if the deputy he stuck her hand down her pants, like that was also a person who like testified yes. and said this happened to me. This isn't somebody who this is a pattern. you can dismiss. It's yeah. this is now uh, an upstanding citizen. If that's a, if that's what you need to like balance this out yes. in your head, so that's not enough either. This isn't people trying to. It's just. I know it's, it's, it's wild. So the wife says uh, that he is just in his cell with a little bed and a Bible that he's read twice. And this was like a couple years after his arrest, he had read it and that he is permitted to send her postcards twice a week. And she shared his words to her on one. I love you, love you, love you very much. And will be glad when God sets me free from all this. You be sure and keep your head up. Well, there's a lot of ways that God can set you yes. free right now, sir. Why don't you take advantage of those? <laughs> so, um, you know, like I said, the wife thinks it's all about the money and there was a civil suit. So, um, and it was a big, it was a big civil suit, $10 million. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, because he's the sheriff, you know, they went after the county. Good. And uh, it was settled in 2011 and the thing is, the taxpayers have to pay. Holy shit. All their property taxes went up because they have to cover, and they're doing it in installments, like a certain amount and a certain, because, I mean, they don't, the county doesn't have that kind of money, I guess, to just shell out $10 million at once. And so now the taxpayers have to pay. How was that coffee you had with your sheriff? Yeah. Was it a good cup of coffee, I yeah, hope? Yeah, it was an expensive <laughs> one. Yeah. So, um, according to, uh, that prison legal news, uh, Rudder wrote that Brenda Brown's mom, Sue McDonough had this to say about the taxpayers footing the bill. I don't feel sorry for the people of Custer County. Those people voted him into office and they knew what was going on at that jail. The deputies knew the commissioners knew mm. everyone knew and still they reelected him. And that's her perspective. So she's like, whatever you want to let it happen. Now, now you're going to pay the piper. Wow. And that's how that was her feelings on it. Um, and then, like I said earlier, that they, they now um, had decided we got to have a little more oversight. Like the county commissioners were like, well, yeah, maybe we should check out that look, jail. Look into things on. a little more. Yeah. So um, another thing that I found out that I thought was really interesting is some aftermath that happened to that deputy, Jennifer Tyler. Mm -hmm. So she was working in another county. Right. At the time, but she was called in to testify. Oh, God, no. And so according to Jefferson Robbins in Wenatchee World, um, 
all of her testimony, everything that she did ends up costing her her job. Fuck this. And so she was let go for other reasons, right? But because she talked about a fellow officer and gave her testimony, she like, so word starts getting out, right? Like people start hearing that she had testified, even though it's a different area, like people, you know, everybody talks. And so she, she claimed that other law enforcement officers treated her differently. So, um, and she also claimed that since her testimony she started getting written up with various complaints. Oh, boy. Internal investigations start happening. Oh, what, co- what a coincidence. Yes. And so she ends up suing, right? Because she loses her job. And she's like, you know what? I'm taking you people to court. So then she ends up in court. And she was asked if she did the right thing in testifying. And she said, yes. Then she was asked if she'd ever testify again. And this is what she said. No, ma'am. I will never tell of another sexual harassment complaint again. When asked why, she said, what good did it do me? Damn. Hello. Period. End of I sentence. Mean, this is exactly why, this is why women don't say this. anything. Look at this. Motherfuckers. So according to Sean Goggins' article, the firing happened in 2010. This trial that she then had was in 2018, and she was awarded $500,000 in her discrimination suit. Good. I was like, yes, Go. So basically, the jury agreed that her treatment after testifying against Burgess is what led to her firing and, you know, being treated poorly by these other officers. And, you know, if you're an officer, like, I get it. You want to stand by your fellow officers and all of that. But if someone is doing the wrong thing, like you have a moral right. I mean, don't you take an oath as an officer? Like, right. Th- this is exactly what happened to that Florida Highway Patrol officer. It's, Remember that? Yeah. She pulled over this. There was a Miami-Dade uh, cop going like 120 miles an hour south down 95 to go to work because he was late for a detail or something like that. Florida Highway Patrol officer, a woman, pulls him over, and it's all on the dashboard cam where she's like, what the hell is going on, bro? Where are you going? And he got a ticket, which he couldn't believe he was getting. He was in his cop car, couldn't believe he was getting a ticket. And she actually says in the video to him, like, you guys do this all the time. You can't drive 120, 130 miles an hour. That woman was harassed endlessly. By, by police officers in every single agency you can imagine in South Florida, where she, her, her lawyers sued to get the um, records of every um, time. So when officers in their car, like when they pull you over and they get your driver's license, yeah. they can look up your name and see if your license matches your, your address. Yes. Or they can yes. just put your name in to see if it does. Officers in other cities around Florida were putting her name in to get her address <gasps> and driving by her house, parking outside her house. So they sued to get that to see who oh had goodness. put in the FCLE system her name. And so many officers came oh up my God. who, who oh were just looking God. up where her address is to, to sit outside her house and, and put fear into her yes. for doing her fucking job. Oh, my God. Please. I was so happy. And she also ended up... Um, like running for sheriff as a write-in and i don't know what the outcome is that's funny if if this is like coming up but i was like hey look at you yeah so um the other thing i found interesting and this is the last little point of interest was um in a 2018 frontier article by go forth and attic uh it revealed how the direct department of corrections page in oklahoma did not post information about some officers who had been sentenced for sex crimes so like if you look up who's in the jail and who's been, yeah. you know, their face is supposed to come up. And Mike Burgess's uh, information is, is one of those people, like, he's not on the page. And it wasn't for all officers. So officers who had committed, like, shooting and other crimes were on there, but the sexual offense people, they, they weren't what, on the what? page. And so I just thought it was interesting. And so they talked to uh, a DOC spokesman, Matt, Al- Matt Elliott, and he said that some at-risk prisoners may have that information removed for their own protection. So, uh, and he was quoted as saying, it's an exception we make for any inmate where we have a good reason why we might not have their location because we don't want them to get killed. Oh, so, yeah, and I, and again, it's, you know, I know that like if you're in jail that you, you know, you should still be protected and safe in that jail. But at the same time, is it because he's an officer that he's getting this other additional treatment? And then mm. I know officers in jail probably suffer right, a lot. But again, like you made a choice to commit a crime. And I'm sure I just I can imagine him not being the kindest person like to his other prisoner. So they're probably like bring him in, you know, mm. 
So I get it, but I just thought that was an interesting little note. And that's the story of former sheriff and convicted rapist Mike Burgess. Oh, that's so good, Tina. That's wild. So we are the weirdest two people on the planet. <laughs> okay? Because not only did you have this idea, <laughs> because we talk about sheriffs nonstop the last week, but I had this idea yes! to do a sheriff. Oh! Because I'm so of excited. Broward County, where we live in Florida, has like, like we talked about with Brittany Wallman on our Little Muck episode, um, you know, the curse of the Broward Sheriff. Yes. You know, and how Broward County Sheriff has always been like, and by the way, doing research on this, like even one of the first sheriffs had done a lynching in front of other people. Oh like my God. it was insane. This, this, and that's probably what put the curse on this fucking office. I feel Ugh. like right from the beginning. So I am going to do Broward County Sheriff, Nick Navarro. Oh, <laughs> yes. This is so exciting. Okay. So Nick Navarro was the sheriff when I was a kid. So in the eighties, Nick Navarro was yeah. the sheriff. Okay, so I'm going to read you this really long quote because it is so fucking good and um, and funny. And so, you know who Christopher Hitchens is, the English writer? Yes. Okay, so he wrote about this particular case where Nick Navarro, it's kind of like where he dug his heels in, but it also what took him down was tangling with the rap group Two Live Crew. Yes. And the I, charges. I remember when all of this was happening, yes. actually. Yeah. Well, we oh. were kids. Oh, we I used to... So. I had older cousins that would listen to Two Life Crew because yeah. I was little. And um, I remember they did a whole dance routine with my Barbies <laughs> to Two Life Crew. And then um, I was singing the song and my mom was like, what are you? Dude, I have to tell you, I now yesterday doing this story, I went on YouTube and listened to all of As Nasty As They Want To Be. Oh my God, yes. And I was like, it's really, really good. It's so... It is completely, it's all about sex Everybody and fucking. Say, hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, the sorry. The whole thing is about <laughs> sex. And I get where it comes from, like indecent, but it's so good. And then what they followed up with was like even better. So it's like, I don't know. I, but I actually texted my sister and I was like, I can't believe what we were listening to at like 10 and 11 yes. years old. It was fucked up. Okay. Anyway, so here's a quote from Christopher Hitchens regarding this case. It's obvious to this reviewer that the crew should be left alone and that their foul-mouthed attitude toward the gentler sex is a good-sounding good excuse for a youth-hating and surreptitiously bigoted prosecution. I don't know the private thoughts of Sheriff Nick Navarro of Broward County, but I doubt they are worth a rat's behind and see no reason why he should sublimate his own vagina-dreading disorders <laughs> in this expensive and undemocratic fashion. The same applies to the preposterous Judge Jose Gonzalez Jr., who, in ruling on Sheriff Navarro's raid, opined that the music appeals to, quote, the loins, not to the intellect, unquote. In fact, I think they are a pair of racist shitheads who should be told to fuck <laughs> yes! right off. Yes! <laughs> wow! Yeah, that was his response to this case. I so love it. We're going to get into that case uh, towards the end of this, but let's start with Nick Navarro. So... Nick Navarro was born in Wariuco, Cuba in 1929. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. He came to the United States when he was 19 years old and immediately joined the United States Army and served in Korea. Uh, Navarro began his law enforcement career in 1958 as a patrolman in Miami and later became a detective with the Metro-Dade Public Safety Department. His career included time with the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which was, is now the DEA, and the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. In 1972, he was hired by Sheriff Ed Stack to create the Broward County Sheriff's Office's first organized crime bureau. There's a lot of, uh, you know, mafiosos down here, too. Yes. Yeah. A lot of, there's some coffee shops over here in Pompano where uh, I always see these guys sitting outside. I'm like, I don't know. Can we go have biscotti there or is it safe? Like, I oh, don't wait, know. Oh, wait, are you talking about um, Cafe Roma? Maybe. On Atlantic? Yes. Oh, it's a great little place. My my, my dad enjoys that place. Okay. <laughs> um, in 1984, he decided to run for sheriff for Broward County, and he was elected, and he ran. He was in office for eight years. So uh, as the sheriff, his administration was characterized by a commitment to reduce crime, coupled with community outreach efforts to improve the quality of life for all Broward County residents. Under Sheriff Navarro's leadership, the Broward Sheriff's Office grew from 1,600 employees with a budget of $74 million, to over 3,000 employees with a budget of 200 million. Dang. So what happens in Broward County is they start acquiring cities, right? Yeah. Like, so if your city, like the city of Fort Lauderdale has their own police department. So they would try to negotiate a contract with Broward Sheriff would come in and take over that department. And so they just picked up different cities. And now it's, it's almost it's every city in Broward has yeah. the sheriff's office. 
Um, in addition to directing the operations of Broward's largest police agency, Navarro served as steering committee chairman for the multi-agency Blue Lightning Task Force, chairman of the Florida Sheriff's Association Anti-Crack Task Force, and vice president of the International Narcotics Enforcement Officers Association. His expertise in the drug enforcement field was tapped by other law enforcement officials around the U.S., and the department's exploits were frequently documented by the national news media. So let's not forget, like, this is the 80s, and it's like... War on drugs. Yes. You know? And the war and, on and drugs. A, and, and crack was, I yeah. remember that was like a huge. Oh, it was humongous. Now it's the opioid. Yes. Yes. Crisis. We should do a whole show on the war on drugs because oh. it it's a nightmare. What's ha- what is. Oh my God. It's what's ter- from that? Well, it, it, It's awful. It is. But that was his big thing, you know, was with the drugs. Um, okay. So Navarro was never afraid to try something new. Like when he allowed the Broward Sheriff's Office to be the first agency in the country to host a new show called Cops. Bad boys, bad boys. What, what you gonna, gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Love it. And by the way, went to YouTube. Check our notes. You can watch the entire like first season or like the first episode or whatever of Cops. It's so fucking good. Oh my good. God. And they're driving around Broward. I'm like, I know that. Yeah. I know that. I know that. It's so good. But it's also insanely like racist. Like they, there's a white guy who they pull over and they find uh, drugs in his car. And he's like, I don't know oh, who would have done that. Like, I don't have drugs. Da, da, da. My, my ex, what my wife who I'm getting divorced from hates me. And I think she oh, planted it. Okay. And the cops go, Oh, is that what you think? Okay. Let's get her on the phone and see if she can admit it. And like, go, they go to a pay phone. They hook up this <laughs> recording device to it. And she's going, that's right. Motherfucker. I, I'm then- going to get you. and I'm going to get you again. Like records the whole thing. And so they listen to the tape and the detective's like, you lived with this person for eight years. Like, like it's funny and let the guy go. Cause basically now they're going to go arrest this wife. But then they are doing sting operations where they're arresting. Like a, they had a van full of black men in the back of the van where they're just arresting one oh person God. after the other. And then there was another one where this woman was driving around a bad part of town and they, they this, this white lady and the cop pulls her over and they find a, a crack rock in her car. And she's like, I just asked that guy for directions. Cause he said he, before they pulled her over, he's like, let me guess. I mean, she's either going to say she's lost, she's looking for the beach, she doesn't know where 95 is, she can't find, and it's, that's what the, all these white people say when they pull them over the neighborhood, and they found the crack rock, and she's like, that's not mine, I, I, he must have thrown it in the car when I asked him, <laughs> he's like, tell it to the judge, like, yeah. I've, I've, heard, I've heard enough, anyway, it's a little, it's insanely racist what was going on during uh. this time, okay. So a few episodes even showed Nick participating in dangerous raids right along with our SWAT team and, and the deputies. Navarro catapulted himself into a celebrity, helped along, of course, by the cops TV show. Navarro was a colorful, controversial figure who had a knack for getting the media's attention. And then, of course, the war on drugs. So here's one of the things that he did in Broward County, which was highly controversial. And you're going to you're going to freak. I'm, I, I'm, I love, I'm so just in love with this story already. <laughs> In 1989, Sheriff Navarro had hundreds of crack rocks worth more than $20,000 manufactured and <gasps> sold on Broward County streets. Wait, what? Yeah. So this pleased police because they could get more people off the streets. They had this crack rock to sell and then get the, you know, so they were pretending to sell it uh, as a trap. And then the guys no. who were buying it, they would arrest them, right? But but it, defense attorneys were pissed you know, it's, it's entrapment, basically. Yes, of course. Right. So um, Sheriff's Office chemist Randy Hilliard legally manufactured oh rocks God. in a laboratory on the seventh floor of the Broward County Courthouse. No, in <laughs> no. So the same place they're bringing these guys where they were arrested for buying it, it's being manufactured. Oh, like a, dear <laughs> same God. Building. Sheriff's no. officers posed as drug dealers and sell Hilliard's crack cocaine and arrest the buyers. The Sheriff's Office is the only was the only law enforcement agency in the country that made its own crack. <laughs> <laughs> this is so i one it's so florida and it's so broward it's so broward oh my god which is now the title of this episode oh it's my god so it's so broward <laughs> it's broward oh. is my favorite it's my favorite it's how it's, could you not want to live here <laughs> okay they make their own crack yes generally police use drugs they find during investigations or that are confiscated from drug dealers right so whatever they pick up off the street that's what they reuse and everything's tagged and you know and well yeah they probably know how it's made and whatnot like the compound or whatever they are doing so so here's a quote they're doing from hilliard they're doing so many stings it got to the point where we couldn't keep up it made it easier to just do it ourselves because oh, they're running out of stuff yeah. in the drug closet. Of, oh, my God. You know. 
I never heard of that in my life before, said Con Doherty, spokesman for the, or Doherty, I don't know how he pronounces it, spokesman for the Drug Enforcement Administration in D.C. Defense attorneys said they were unaware of the practice before I mean, the story came out. I think there's something sick about this whole system where the police make the product, sell the product, and arrest people for buying the product, said public defender Alan I Schreiber. Mean, Whose office, they're drug dealers, yeah, <laughs> said uh, Broward Public Defender Alan Schreiber, whose office is on the same floor in the courthouse as Hilliard's laboratory. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> so, what, what do you do for a living? Yeah, make crack. I, I get, I, what was his salary to make this crack? Is breaking, this is like Breaking Bad. Yes, except that it's, <laughs> it's in the sheriff's office yeah. in the middle of downtown. Make this for us so we can sell it. I'm shocked the sheriff's chemist, this is another quote, I'm shocked oh, the sheriff's maybe. chemist would use his resources to manufacture that obnoxious substance, said Bruce Lyons, president of the Broward County Criminal Defense Attorneys Association. Navarro, who's chairman of the state's crack cocaine task force, said the criticism from defense lawyers is, in, is invalid. Here's a quote from Navarro. Oh, please. There's nothing illegal or unethical about that. This is already cocaine we just convert it into crack he said oh i can tell you you ask the father of a mother or any other any kid who's on crack cocaine if they have any reservations and see what they tell you they have none can i tell but, you can we stop wait. asking about what mothers and fathers think about kinds of these yes. kinds of things what you're doing isn't right it's not right what you know it's because somebody's kid is addicted to crack now it's okay for you to make crack what yeah. the fuck no and then again that's that's exploiting someone who is suffering yes through you know um having to watch a loved one be addicted to a drug i mean no that's not the person you go right. to right because they're of course going to say anything to help because they're they're suffering their right. child's suffering exactly or suffered. exactly please in addition with hilliard as the manufacturer the sheriff's office is assured of quality control hilliard's first batch of rock was made in february 1989 when he was provided Excuse me. When he was provided a kilo of 2.2 pounds of cocaine by the sheriff's office, after determining it was cocaine, he used it to prepare his own crack. Each pencil, pencil eraser sized crack rock was then placed in a tiny plastic bag for sale by undercover officers. So long as the bag is not opened or ripped during the transaction, Hilliard does not have to analyze its contents before it is presented as evidence at a defendant's trial, which is the other part. Like if you are arrested for buying like that woman who had it. Yes. She said it was thrown in her car. Yeah. She, they have to test it to make sure it act. Cause the cop was holding it and was like, this is crack rock. Right. Because of whatever his experience of like, I know what this is, but they still have to test it to make sure she did something that it is something illegal, not like a pebble or whatever. Right. Yeah. So what they're saying is whatever is used in these transactions doesn't even have to be tested because they made it themselves. They know they it's know crack already. Rock. <laughs> oh my God. In the first three months of the year, the sheriff's office made 2,300 crack. Well, they're saving money. They don't yeah testing yeah in the first three months of the year the sheriff's office made 2300 crack related arrests fred haddard this is not right i know or fred hadid a lawyer specializing in the defense of people's chart people charged with drug-related crime said quote i think there's something wrong with the government getting involved in the manufacture of crack it just doesn't seem right you think <laughs> others said that the oh, sheriff no. oh, no. others said that the sheriff's <laughs> methods garner him headlines but do nothing to educate or rehabilitate crack rehabilitate crack users people buying a rock you know like this isn't some big t these aren't big time right dealers like I, I don't and this is my opinion i don't think people who are who are the addict mm -hmm. not, the, the person buying these small amounts to get their fix yeah they should not be thrown in jail they need help well that's why this war on drugs became such a nightmare yeah i mean this the is, drugs are yeah the, the, the jails are filled with people with these small petty yes, crimes and it's it's horrible like yeah. they and and that, and that that's not going to help them. Right. Exactly. It's it's, it's um, a terrible terrible thing. So Lyons also said, "Quote: They're taxing the system. We, when we have to spend fifteen hundred dollars a day in fines for being over, in in the jail being overpopulated, it ought to come from the sheriff's budget. There's got to be a better way." And then, of course, most jurors weren't impressed by the entrapment. They they considered it an entrapment. Of when course. This would go to trial. I mean and and what what so what big win are you getting that you you have someone who I think it's him. You know, because again, he's publicizing it. So I think it's him being able to say, we got all these arrests and look at these. Mean, but these but, but the person that it. you want to arrest, you, the reason that you don't want to make your own crack, it's because you want to go where this crack come from and then yeah. where that come from and, and go down the line to the big guy. Yes. You're not finding the big guy when you're distributing the crack. Right. You're the big guy. You're the big guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I know. Right, okay. I, mean, <laughs> I know it's insane. <laughs> All right, let's move on right before. Okay, so here we go. So um, there, he also was kind of known for this terrible raid on gay clubs. 
So on Friday night, May 3rd, 1991, the LGBTQ community of South Florida experienced its, quote, Stonewall event. On that weekend night at 1120 p.m., the Broward Sheriff's Office launched an unprecedented law enforcement operation against two of the most popular gay clubs in Broward County, the Copa in Dania Beach and Club 21 in Hallandale. With live Copa, I remember Copa. Yeah. (laughs) The live, um, was that the one that was next to the roller skating rink? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, with live television crews following him, the sheriff authorized the use of over 100 Broward Sheriff Office deputies partnering with 15 state alcohol officers to simultaneously invade both nightclubs, accusing them of being, quote, awash with cocaine, end quote. Again, the drugs. Oh, my the entire, God. I know. The entire police action resulted in a total of six drug arrests, two at the COPA and four at Club 21. Despite this, state alcohol agents effectively invaded the clubs that evening and served each with emergency orders of suspension. So they shut the places down. They could not serve liquor, essentially, essentially, essentially thus shutting them down. Sheriff Navarro orchestrated the raids, uh, the raid as if he were hosting a Hollywood opening. The sheriff turned the raid into a media event, placing the entire LGBTQ Q community in a false light. Oh my God. Navarro arrived on the scene in a helicopter accompanied by his <gasps> wife dressed in an evening gown. No. And he was also accompanied by foreign Russian dignitaries. No. What, what is this? I don't know. I, they're, la- they're, they're, they're landing. Yeah. In a helicopter. Because you know, it's like a, it's like war or something. It's so bizarre. And she's in a gown. This is the craziest thing I know. I've ever, Innocent, I've never heard of this. I know. Innocent patrons of gay nightclubs gathering socially and, lawf- and lawfully in state licensed alcohol beverage establishments were greeted by busloads of fully armed cops in SWAT uniforms who swarmed the clubs, ordering all the patrons and employees in each establishment to line up against the wall and put their heads, their hands over their heads. One by one, every customer was ordered to produce identification, citizenship cards, and driver's licenses. Oh, my God. Most were unlawfully detained for hours with no probable cause, embarrassed and held against their will by armed and uniformed uh, police officers. Oh, my God. How scary. Younger gay men and women had their parents called by the cops so they could warn them where their child was. Oh, no. Yeah. Probably outing them. Right. Of course. The cops recorded the names of the patrons and videotaped them as well without their consent and against their will, collecting whatever data police um, could amass for future record keeping purposes. <gasps> Finally, they were led out of the club in a single file. The customers were greeted by television crews who were filming their humiliation for the morning news. The gay community was normal, was nominally mo- mobilized in the early 1990s. A group called Guard, um, which was Gays United Against Repression and Discrimination, held a protest demonstration at the Broward County Courthouse two weeks later. About 60 activists joined in, along with the local chapter of the ACLU, and a gay activist, attor- activist attorney, the late Alan H. Terry, who condemned the raid. I'm sorry, Terrell, who condemned the raid. Despite the protests, law enforcement agencies proudly defended their action. In fact, Sergeant Pat Roberts of the State of Florida Division of Alcohol, Beverages, and Tobacco criticized the protesters for accusing Sheriff Navarro of being solely responsible. He said, it is our raid. We were the ones who called for it. Meanwhile, Broward Sheriff's Office spokesman Al Gordon said the raids, quote, were not pointed towards any special orientation, but at drugs, end quote. Okay. I don't see any reason for the... (laughs) Um, he said to the, he also said, I don't see any reason for the Broward Sheriff's office to apologize for enforcing the law during Sheriff's Navarro's tenure. They never apologized. Um, and it wasn't until, um, he lost his reelection and Sheriff Ron Cochran became the, the new sheriff BSO that he sat down with the leaders of the gay community and they made, um, and BSOs made a modest donation to the country's largest AIDS group at the time, center one. And then Cochran agreed to establish a permanent li- liaison to the LGBTQ community within BSO, which still exists today. Oh, and then BSO publicly apologized for the raid, which, good. of course, enraged good. Navarro. Yeah. Oh, I know. So let's get into NW, or not NW, <laughs> WA. That's another group. Yeah, it's two, another really good yeah. group from <laughs> two, the time. Two live crew. I can't even believe it. I actually typed in my notes, NWA, what a dummy. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so his most famous exploit was his fight with the rap group, Two Live Crew. Oh, my God. Which he accused of violating the obscenity law. So Governor of Florida, Bob Martinez, ordered state prosecutors to prosecutors to determine whether Miami area rappers two live crews album nasty as they want to be violated Florida obscenity laws. Oh my God. Because you know, just leave people alone. It's art. Yeah. We have nothing else to do. It's art. (laughs) Do you imagine this is how not busy we were? Oh my God. Um, 
And of course, governor, uh, the group went out, was out of Miami, which so the Florida in Miami, Florida. So the cases were held in South Florida. Governor Martinez found an ally in Sheriff Navarro, who was more than happy to implement ordinances to ban the music. Ugh. On November 6, 1990, um, to a packed courtroom in Miami, U.S. District Judge George, Jose Gonzalez read a 62 page decision that found the rap groups as nasty as they want to be obscene, making it the first musical recording to be labeled so by a U.S. court. Oh God. Is that so, when they started doing like the explicit li- lyrics? Remember they had to start putting that like sticker yes, on, that all, on everything? Be- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so some titles of the songs on the album were Me So Horny. Remember that oh, song? Oh, yes. Girl. One was called was- Dick Almighty and then <laughs> there's another song called The Fuck Shop. Oh my God. Whatever. What was the, what was the guy's name? Luther. Uh, Luther uh, Campbell. Yeah, Luther Campbell. Yes. So he was the, the leader of this group. Yeah. So branding nasty, quote, an appeal to dirty thoughts and the loins, end quote, Judge Gonzalez effectively made it illegal to sell the album or perform perform songs um, it, or perform its songs in three South Florida counties. Oh, my God. The, the, the verdict came in a suit brought by two live crews, Skywalker Records, which yes. is what's the thing. Skywalker, against, I remember yeah, this. I remember against this. Um, Broward County Sheriff Nick Navarro, who had threatened to arrest area record operators for carrying the, the, the album. Oh, my. Please. Yeah. That's, and it could number have come, one. It's going to make everyone want the album yeah. more. Yeah. I think it's like double <laughs> platinum at this point. Yeah, I mean. um, and it couldn't have come at a better time to simmer this like national debate because during this time, Tipper Gore had started the Parental Music Resource Center because her she caught her daughter listening to Prince's song, Darly, Darlin, Darling Nikki. Oh, God. And thought it was inappropriate. What? Can you imagine? Thanks, kid. Just put your headphones on like every normal kid. Now you fucked us with this music. Yes. Gore said that her purpose wasn't to put a gag on music, but to keep it safe for younger listeners by providing parents with information about the content of the songs. Let me say something. I don't know if this thing worked or not because we were singing Me So Horny. Yeah. In like middle school. Yes. So I don't think it worked. No. And I'd be so out of my mind right now if my daughter was singing the song. But it's still well, like. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of songs I used to listen to even as a younger person. Even, um, oh my God. Uh, and this isn't, this isn't rap, but it's a pilot film. like, why can't I get just one kiss? And yes. then it's like, why can't I get just one fuck? Yeah. Like, uh, and I, uh, I love that song. But I know. Listen. My kids, my kids sing songs that are inappropriate. Yeah. And I just. But the whole point is like, listen, it's, it's music. Not, so let the parents deal with that at home. Don't yeah. limit artists by what they're trying to yeah, do. And no. whether you think this is art or not, it's fine. It's just, it's the first amendment. We have yeah. this, the right to this. And okay. who are you to dictate what people listen to? Yes. So when the trial began, at least 18 states were considering mandatory record labeling measures. To head off such legislation, the Record Industry Association of America had announced that record companies would voluntarily place warning stickers on potentially offensive albums. P.S. Guess who pays for those stickers? The artist. It actually comes in their record contract that they have to pay for those stickers, which again, they get charged like three times. what It's like three cents, yes. but they get charged for that. It comes out of the bottom line if they say fuck on an album or something. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. Um, okay. So outside the courthouse, Navarro warned store owners, quote, if you sell it, you're going to jail. And two days oh. later, Charles Freeman, a Fort Lauderdale record shop owner, was arrested for testing that pro- proclamation. No. Yeah. And also, by the way... Because he was in jail, like, I think he missed a rent payment or something in the record shop, and the shop was closed. No. Yeah. Like, that's how fucked up this stupid thing is. Why would you? I know. Okay, so, and after Defiant 2 Live Crew performed the band songs at Hollywood, Florida's Club Futura, the night following Freeman's arrest, deputies arrested Luther Campbell and Chris Wong and a third member, Mark Ross, uh, who they let he later they let later surrendered to the police, but they were all arrested, and they were later acquitted when a jury rejected obscenity charges. So two years later, the Court of Appeals of the Eleventh Circuit in Atlanta overturned Gonzalez's decision, finding that the judge had insufficient grounds to issue the ruling. Robin um, Blumner, executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Florida, said uh, both that the reversal and the U.S. Supreme Court's subsequent refusal to hear the case quote, resoundingly beat back any attempt at censorship and has licensed musicians to be expressive as they want to be, end quote. Uh, Luther Campbell and the group released an extremely political (laughs) follow-up album called Band in the USA after obtaining permission to use the interpolation of Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Oh, goodness. This album, oh my (sighs) God. Tina, 
it's like you shouldn't have hit the hornet's nest because <laughs> so it was first it was also the first uh release to bear the the parental advisory sticker yeah i remember those stickers yeah the um I don't, my parents never paid attention my parents didn't know what was really going on no that's i mean we still bought them yeah um <laughs> but yeah the group included the song quote it's called fuck martinez <laughs> Which also includes multiple repetitions of the phrase fuck Navarro. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. It's in our notes. I'm telling you right now to oh pause my God. this podcast. Oh my God. Go to YouTube and type oh in like God. two live crew fuck Martinez. <laughs> this month, this guy should have never done this because the song was, he's like, oh, you want, it's basically like now I can say whatever I want. Yeah. And he was, and the, the, it's literally a call and response where he goes, it said it goes fuck Martinez, fuck, fuck Martinez, <laughs> and they go fuck Martinez, <laughs> and then he goes, when I say Martinez, you say sucks a mean dick. And so the, he's like Martinez, and everyone sucks a mean dick, right? Like he says things oh, about his wife, oh his wife, God. how Martinez' wife eats pussy. Oh no, like it's like so <laughs> insane. And I sent it to my sister, and I was like, Do you, it's yeah. like I had such a flashback to my childhood when oh I my heard God. this song, and I said, I can't believe. But I was going, I was sitting here at this table last Lame. night going, fuck, Martinez, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> right? It's so insane. Oh my God, that's but so funny. I really was thinking too, like if he had never said to go look into this album, yeah. this is what he was known for now. He yeah. was a one-term governor. Like he was known for <laughs> wasting people's time. And now he has this awful song about like, fuck you. This is so good. It's, it's so good. The song is I can't so wait. I good. can't wait to listen. You have to listen to it. Um, so... The group found, oh, so here's, here's another thing. So the group found two other men with the same names. So Nick Navarro and Bob Martinez, um, and had them sign releases as they thought that this action would make it impossible for Nar Martinez or Navarro to see them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't about you. It's about this other guy yeah, yeah, yeah. named, uh, Isn't Martinez. So and I love it. I love it too. So what a mess. <laughs> Such a mess. But um and also like let's think about what Broward and Fort Lauderdale was like at the time. We yeah. talked about the Kathy Willett stuff. Oh my like God. Yeah, they it was were a wild. Bob Martinez as governor was also trying to ban this new thing that was happening at the beach, which were thongs. Yes. Women were wearing these thongs on the beach, and you can look up articles where he's like incensed by this and they tried to ban thongs. I think yeah. they actually might have. I think they might um I know people couldn't go topless. Yeah. I um, think the thongs was a thing. And some of the lifeguards, like they interviewed lifeguards in the story and the guy was like, I mean, I've seen like one, like yeah. I don't, you know, like, you know, there's just one, you know, Karen out there going, I can't believe my kids are looking at somebody's butt. Yeah. You know, like, you know, there's this Who whole cares? thing. I know, but it, it was his, one of his things was thongs oh and two live crew. Oh my God. So it's really um, a shame because, and we talked about this on our first episode mm -hmm. of, of the splitting of the strip because yes. Um, even though there's all, you know, um, that area is very nice down there. I, I still, you know, like the idea of being able to cruise the strip top to bottom yeah. was fun. Yes. You know, you can't do that. Like that kids can't do that. No. It's like a fun thing to do. It's very like clean yeah. and yeah. yeah. Expensive. Yes. So, um, Navarro lost the position of sheriff after being defeated in the 1992 Republican primary and was succeeded by Ron Cochran. He blamed the negative press for the media from the media for his loss. But of course, a lot of people around him blamed all the controversies for the loss, especially yes. the two live crew one. Just you know? let it go. Yeah. Um, and in 1993, after he retired, um, he founded Navarro Security Group, a private security service that actually would provide service at some of these concerts where like two live crew would perform. <laughs> the the venue would hire Navarro Security. Like, they oh, would, my God. That was so funny. Um <laughs> And also in the notes, there's clips of, um, or you can go to YouTube and watch on the Phil Donahue show. Oh my God, Phil um, Donahue. Yeah. So they have, they have Luther Campbell and they have, um, Navarro, Nick Navarro, and they have the singer Jello from the Dead Kennedys, Gen oh. Jello Barfia, Barfia, something like that. He, he was also fighting against this case. He actually testified at Congress that this shouldn't be happening. Like, why are you, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway. They're all on the Phil Donahue show and it's really good, uh, but it's after the case and they show clips from the concert and the women dancing on the stage. Rem I remember that in the bikinis. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. And it's a whole thing. Yeah. And of course the audience is shocked, but it's like, mate, it's not for you. It's not for you. Yeah. You don't have to go to the concert. You then. Don't, don't. Don't go. go. Yeah. Don't listen. Don't go. 
Um, and then on September 28th, 2011, uh, Nick Navarro died from complications of cancer and he was 81 years old. So that's it. That's the story of uh, our, one of our beloved sheriffs here in Broward County. When you said the, the let it go, it reminded me of something that made me so happy this week. Um, and I know this is coming on a little late, but Snoop Dogg, did you mm-hmm. see that? It's so one, I love him so much <laughs> and I would love to just hang out with him all day, but it's him in his car listening to let it go from frozen. No. <laughs> and he's just so adorable and it's just this short little clip. And he's like, we'll, we'll be out of this soon guys. <laughs> it's just, Oh my God. It, it made me. So I, I watched it like four different times yesterday. Cause it's just Aww. him. And then the song's playing and he, he does this thing where he looks at the camera when it's like, let it go. He's like, just turns his head a little bit. It's so adorable. But if you have time, look at that, guys. Yes. Go look it up. Snoop Dogg, let it go. It's it's so damn cute. Sounds He's awesome. like a national hero. I don't. I just adore him. Yeah. Well, he doesn't bullshit. You know. No. He's he. I gotta just. He's the best. Yeah. So it, it just like made my heart so happy watching him in his car. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's what I did for a little bit. Love the it. Other day. So. <laughs> All right. That's our episode. Yes. Oh, and so I hope you guys are enjoying the little little muck. Little muck. Um, we came out our first episode with Brittany Wallman. We're working on more episodes, and yes, uh, it did really well. It's downloading well. People seem to be enjoying it, so that's yes. good. I mean, she she gave such a wonderful interview. Oh, she's fantastic. She's phenomenal. Yes. So, so if you have any like people you think we should talk to, maybe you can send us an email at themuckpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, Yes, that's it. Yes. All right. Well, I will see you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Dougherty.